This is an ABC podcast. There, there is no other alternative for a Prime Minister than the rule of law. To Scott Morrison, stop dealing with this as a political problem and start doing the right thing. Not so much a tin air as a wall of concrete. Having children doesn't guarantee a conscience. Women who have put up with this rubbish and this crap for their entire lives. I've had a gutful. I have had an absolute gutful. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis. I'm the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing on the ABC News Channel. And I'm Frank Kelly from RN Breakfast, joining you from Parliament House this morning, where I'll soon be joined happily by David Crow, the Chief Political Correspondent at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, to talk about politics this week. But PK, politics this week, much of it has been dominated by the well-being and the situation of the family we've become known as the Billa Wheeler family. They've been offered temporary reprieve and they've been reunited in Perth this week because their four-year-old daughter, Tanika, is in hospital. She became very, very sick on Christmas Island with pneumonia, which turned into an infection, a blood infection, something akin to sepsis. And uh, they've finally been removed from the island and placed into community detention, which is clearly a move the government didn't want to make. It's been resisting this for years now, um, but they have made it. And when they made it, they really did the bare minimum. Yeah, bare minimum is the perfect way to put it. But why did they even have to make that decision to go for the bare minimum. That's the key thing here. And I think there are a couple of factors going on. Firstly, the fact that this family is so well loved by the community of Biloela, also that this family is so identifiable. Now, the issue around asylum seekers is often, particularly the asylum seekers we've had in uh, Nauru, um, you know, Manus Island, the, the, the asylum seekers far away in our offshore detention process, they're, you know, often single men or they're not identifiable. People haven't made that connection. But this is a family that is so well loved by their local regional community. They volunteered. They're seen as very good community members and, you know, their children are quite well loved. They've almost become household names. And this has really galvanised a very strong movement to look at this and say, hang on a minute, how are we spending this much money, millions of dollars detaining four people to make a broader, you know, tough on boats policy uh, pronouncement or send that indication? And what's happened is that big campaign has galvanised a really strong shift inside the party room. So we've got these key figures, Katie Allen, Trent Zimmerman, you know, often moderates, but others as well, even nationals who are, you wouldn't call, you know, moderates, would you, Fran, but have said, no. let's just sort this out. So the government was really forced to do that. But it seemed to me that they still wanted to maintain their tough border protection rhetoric policy, and they've made it quite clear that they still don't want them to get any permanent visa in Australia or, or to open that door. Although it's not completely closed, it seems, but they're still using very tough rhetoric in relation to this. They have. I mean, the point is, you, you talk about the campaign by the, the community in Biloela. You know, the Prime Minister likes to make a big deal about mateship. We have seen, I think, the greatest display of mateship in this country from that community, members of that community in Biloela, who for three years now have campaigned, three years since the day this family um, 
you know, the father Nades, the mother Priya, and the two kids, Kopika and Tanika, were literally woken from their beds at five in the morning and bundled onto a plane by border protection officers, imagine how frightening that would be, to Melbourne where they were thrown into detention. So they were in happily in a life. They had jobs. They had volunteerism. They had the kids. One child was at school. They had friends. One was an infant. And they're literally taken from their beds in Biloela in Queensland and flown to detention in Melbourne. They've stayed in detention. They were then flown a year later to Christmas Island. Um, you know, this is cruel and unusual treatment. The, their mates, and I'm going to use that term, I don't use it much really, but their mates in Biloela never let this go. I would think that our Prime Minister should be cheering that kind of commitment and friendship and mateship and it should have been rewarded before now. And our government, you know, I think... I think there is no other way of saying this except that the treatment by the border force through to this cup, this family throughout this time has really been cruel and unusual. I think it has. There was no need to drag this family from their beds at that hour of the morning. There was no need to lock them up in detention. There was no need to fly them to, to, to Christmas Island and spend $6.7 million and leave them alone in a massive detention centre for two years to do what? To make a point? Well, what point? Because now we see by the simple fact that the government when it was forced to, um, would bring them home and put them in community detention, there was no need for them to be on Christmas Island. If the government wanted to follow the line that they'd been denied protection in the courts, and they have, to the highest court in the land, Mm. that is true, they've been found not to be owed protection. If the government thought that meant that they you know, needed to be not living free amongst us, but somehow in community detention, they could have been doing that for years. Instead, they spent $6.7 million locking up children. One child has spent every birthday in detention. These children were born in Australia. It's cruel, it's unusual, and I think that, yes, we have laws, we have border protection laws, we also have ministerial discretion, and I think that the the way our government has responded to this family, they are owed now that ministerial intervention, and they are owed the right to live amongst us. And that's a good point you make, Fran, because their constant response to this is rule of law, rule of law. And yeah, you're right. We have laws. We also, that's the point of politicians. They have the right to change laws too, but that's Mm. a whole other discussion. Laws aren't fixed. Um, Laws are created to represent the population and what it wants. That's, That's a sort of liberal democracy. But anyway, just parking that, we also have ministerial discretion that you mentioned. And we have had a system under Labor and coalition governments. They've fought to keep this because they say they need this discretion in some cases. They've used it. It's not something that's not used. It's not something arcane. It's not sort of, you know, used by an immigration minister. They're choosing not to, right? This is a choice. And this week, after making that decision to allow them to come to Perth, to reunite, to live in community detention, which is not freedom, it still has lots of restrictions. It's a long way from freedom. You know, under community detention, you know, if the child needs to take a day off sick, the parents have to ring the department and get permission for the child to stay home from school. I mean, these are, this is not freedom at all. Actually, no, it's... It's not at all. And, you know, the parents obviously can't work or, or volunteer unless they get exemptions. And I mean, there's all sorts of elements to this. And that's the point. It is detention. Um, it's just community detention. So if you put it on the spectrum, it's clearly not as draconian as being isolated on Christmas Island, which is why I think the people who support the family are saying, OK, well, it's a, it's a mini step and we're, we're happier with this outcome than them being on Christmas Island. But it's still a far cry from what they were calling for. Let's listen to Alex Hawke. He's the immigration minister and the argument that he made about why they can't be settled here permanently. 
If the people smugglers see a weakening in the in the border protection stance of Australia, they will restart the trade. Okay, so let's just challenge this or interrogate this idea. The idea that people smugglers would go, ha ha, ha ha, that Billa Wheeler family that was on Christmas Island for years, still, you know, you know, has 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 been deprived of their freedoms for years. Just one family with a high profile campaign. We're going to market the boat trade on the basis of this one family that took forever to be, you know, it hasn't happened, but if it were to happen, to be resettled. I don't know if that is what I'd be spending thousands of dollars on personally. Like, I wouldn't be like, well, that would be Millions of it. dollars. Uh, millions of dollars. No, I mean, but as a, as a oh, sort of as person a trying smuggler. to escape. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'd go, yeah, that's a really um, attractive proposition. I might also, do that. But that's right. I mean, yeah, is that going to really entice you? I'm going to subject, I'm going to have children and subject them to this kind of torture because we know from health experts and medical reports, this has had a dramatic negative impact on the, the mental health of these children and of their parents. But also, heaven help us if our border protection policy relies on locking up a single family. I mean, I thought we had Orions and naval boats out there policing the oceans, turning back boats. You know, we spend literally millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on border protection. Uh, It's nonsense. Nonsense is the perfect word. So, but either way, that's the argument they're making. And look, the Prime Minister's been on this overseas trip. He was asked about it before the announcement by Alex Hawke. And it seemed to me that, remember, he was the tough on boats guy, Operation Sovereign Borders guy. I mean, this is the Prime Minister. And he made it quite clear that, you know, the policy would never be settlement in Australia. So they are holding the line on this. Um, But let's see what emerges because that inside the party room, dissent in relation to this family, it hasn't gone away. They are certainly happy that they're not on Christmas Island. That takes a bit of the sting out of it, no doubt, but it's not resolved. No, it's not resolved at all. And we'll talk to David Crow about that and about what is actually going on in that party room and, and what impact that's having, because it is a little unclear to me still why the government's acted now. I mean, there have been detractors of this policy for a long time. Now, certainly this young girl got very, very sick and had to be rushed to hospital. So, you know, governments have to respond to health experts and doctors saying this is an emergency. But I'm just not sure what shifted the dial here, though I do make the point that that dial, as we've been discussing, hasn't shifted that far. I mean, we had the Home Affairs Minister, Karen Andrews, describing this family, not saying their names, talking about them as cohorts. We had the um, Immigration Minister, Alex Hawke, talk about appropriate compassion. Since when does compassion have a qualifier? I mean, there's still big effort from this government, I think, not to humanise these people and not to give in to this pressure. I think it's unclear what's going to happen. The Minister has left the door open to using ministerial intervention here to allow them to stay. But at the same time, he keeps making that point that you've just said there that, you know, people who come here by boat will not settle in Australia. So I wonder how this will end. Should we bring our guest in? Let's do it. David Crow is the Chief Political Correspondent for the City Morning Herald and The Age and our guest in the party room. Welcome. Great to be back. I love that background sound. It makes me think I should be getting a British Scotch whiskey out right now at a lower price. Let me just fill everybody in. You're here in your smoking jacket. You've got your martini there. I don't know why you're going to get a whiskey in the other hand. Get this man a whiskey. 
Hey, um, a cheap whiskey. A cheap one, yes, the ABC. Hey, um, David, PK and I have been speaking about the Billawilla family and PK has just made the point that um, some moderates and others, Barnaby Joyce and some other Nats particularly, have spoken out in support of these people being allowed mm. to return and live in Billawilla mm. effectively, but that there's not complete agreement on that in the Coalition Party room. One of those who's been advocating just in the last few weeks for the release from Christmas Island was Liberal MP Katie Allen. She's a very senior paediatrician, very much in favour of the family staying in Australia. Let's have a listen. I want to make sure that these this family is given the best chance possible in the context that there are literally thousands of other families that will be looking to this case to make sure that what's given to one family is fair and equitable to other families as well. Okay, but are you saying... I think you're saying you want to make sure this family is given the best chance to stay and live their lives in Australia. That is correct. There you have it. Katie Allen is saying this family should be able to live in Biloela, in fact, and the sooner that happens, the better, once the child Tanaka is well again and can safely leave Perth. David, a couple of questions that I've been wondering. Why is Katie Allen and some of the others only speaking up now? What's what's made them move now? Because I imagine they've had these sentiments for a while. And how much is that a dominant feeling in the Coalition Party Room? Do you have any sense of that? I think it's a minority feeling in the Coalition Party Room. And I think the answer as to why it's happening now is simply that photograph Mm. of Tharnika with her sister. Tharnika obviously in distress, being flown to Perth. That photograph galvanised the issue. It went global. And also it went very, very local because Liberal MPs that I speak to, or I spoke to about this, because I called around a lot to see Mm. what people thought, and they said to me that people were coming up to them on the street and saying, you've got to release this family. Now, this was the view to Liberals in safe Liberal territory as well as marginal seats. And it was from people across the board and including Liberal voters, older people especially, I was told, older men were coming up to MPs. So that's what's happened. However, I think it's really important to get to the complexity of the situation with the family's legal appeals at the moment and the distinction between Liberals who want them out of detention pending the court cases Mm -hmm and Liberals who want them settled in Australia permanently. And it was really interesting that you clarified that, Fran, with Katie Allen, who represents um, Higgins in, you know, a comfortable part of Melbourne. Warren Inch has a different view. He spoke up in the party room this week, member for Leichhardt in far north Queensland, and he was saying, look, he really feels for the family, but his message to the party room was that it shouldn't be about settlement for that family. In fact, he said to me, he would back them to go back to Sri Lanka and then apply for migration and settlement in Australia from there. Now, the reason I say that is that I asked in the party room briefing for the coalition this week, did any MP speak up in that full meeting to say, let the family settle in Australia permanently? And I was told nobody did. Nobody put that specific case, specific argument to the wider meeting. And I don't think the party room is at that point yet. And I certainly don't think the government's at that point yet. The government certainly is not at that point, right? They've just given them community detention in Perth. Are they hoping, David Crowe, that by taking them out of Christmas Island, which is obviously just the optics of having them on this island, on their own with all that security, you can understand why people go, what? We're spending millions of dollars detaining these nice people? Like, really, that's the optics of how this has played out, why it's been 
bad for the government, but does it neutralise the issue now? If they're just in community detention in Perth and that just sort of goes on and they get out of the spotlight, they have access to the best tertiary hospitals, does that change I don't things? think so. I, I, think, I think the issue has reached a point where they just, they can calm it down, but I don't think they can neutralise it. I think that um, from the government's point of view, there's a school of thought that says, let's get them back to Biloela get them out of Perth if, if the hospital treatment um, concludes and the family are together, why not have them back together in Queensland rather than in Perth? But I don't think that that just means it all goes away because we're going to have continued news about each stage of the legal issue mm. and continued questions to Alex Hawke as the Immigration Minister about when he's going to use his discretion, total discretion as Minister, to actually have a resolution, and I don't or think it'll go away. Or if he's going to use it. I mean, there is a lot of Still community a support, I would think, too, for the idea that these people have been given every chance in the legal system, and if they are found not to be owed protection, then they shouldn't be given protection. Why should they be singled out? I think a lot of people think they should be given every opportunity. Um, but the longer this goes on, David, I was saying earlier that I think that the treatment that has been handed out to this family, in a sense, makes part of the case for why they should be given ministerial discretion now because they have been treated, I think, cruelly. Yeah, because in, in the initial ways. decision in 2019 to put them on Christmas Island is so cruel yeah. um, that it actually makes the debate even bigger. And it's, it's an incredible own goal for the coalition at a yeah. political level. So there are many children. There's about 100 children, I think, who are born in this country who are not owed resettlement, who are on a path to being sent back home. The government says, you know, if you let these stay, what about all those others? That's what Katie Allen was saying. But so I think there needs to be a, a, a case here of, all right, yes, two children were born in this country. To me, that's a very strong case for allowing them to live here. There's a community where they were settled, where they were welcome, where they were working mm. and contributing. That is another element of it. But I think also that the ordeal that they've suffered in that time. It's, it's interesting. The solution for the government may be in the argument that the local nationals MP, Ken O'Dowd, makes. He makes the point that the family were working in the community and that yes. rural communities need, need workers. workers. <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, I think the resolution for the government could, in fact, come from that sort of conservative side of the party room and the nationals, including people like Barnaby Joyce, not just from Katie Allen and the inner city Liberal MPs, that'll be how they have to settle it. Yeah, and obviously we can't bring people into the country because of COVID. Let's not forget mm. COVID. Mm. These people are COVID-free and available. Uh, mm. It seems passing strange. All right, now, I think David. It's going to take, sorry, it's going to take a long time, and I, I do wonder whether they'll be in Biloela, in the community, pending court decisions, and it might even go past the next election. It's an interesting prediction. All right, let's now switch to another issue. And David, another issue we, we want to tackle is that Four Corners investigation on Scott Morrison's friendships or QAnon was really the story. Scott and Jenny are good friends with a man called Tim Stewart, whose family revealed to the ABC that they were notified the National Security Hotline. They, they called them several times over concerns that their son and brother was too immersed in QAnon beliefs. Now, Scott Morrison has described Tim on social media as an amazing guy, but since the story was getting prepared to go to air, he, he sort of has denounced QAnon, but still not answered lots of questions. 
he's not in the country. So Labor was not really focusing on asking questions because he could not be asked in question time this week. But do you think this is an issue for the Prime Minister? I think it's an issue for him. I'm not sure what the security question would be. I mean, the, the bloke's wife is no longer working for Scott Morrison's wife, Jenny, which was her role up till late last year. And I know the family put in the call about security, but what specifically was the security concern for Morrison? He, he can take that question and answer it. I mean... That's the point, isn't it? Take the question and answer it. When the PM has been asked questions yeah. about QAnon and his friendship and association with this man, Tim Stewart, he's deflected and snapped back, basically, and not wanted to answer it. But I guess the security questions were in the past, and it's a question perhaps worth asking. If you understand that this man has links with QAnon, you know that. It's a family friend, has links with QAnon. We know QAnon in the US has been described and prescribed as a domestic potential domestic terror threat. You know, did you at any time undergo any kind of national security assessment here about your safety, national security of having this person so close to the Prime Minister of the country. That's that's perhaps the issue and perhaps it was historical, but nevertheless, it could be answered and it should be answered, shouldn't it? I guess so. I mean, he's condemned the group, right? He's disassociated himself from that group and the employment was not to Tim Stewart. No. It was to his wife. So should his wife have been barred from working in any role around Kirribilli House because of her husband's posts on social media. Well, maybe not, but is the point... That's right. I mean, I don't think anyone's claiming or pretending that the Prime Minister subscribes to QAnon's beliefs. I mean, that is not the issue. It's really whether the Prime Minister could have just answered this question saying, yes, I didn't know this person. I don't believe that my association with them posed any threat. If there had been some kind of internal investigation, maybe it could have revealed that. If not, just sort of made it clear that he'd considered it and it had been considered and dealt with. And that's that could have perhaps been the end of it. No point trying to avoid the fact that you are friends with this person. This person is Mm. um, espousing these views. They are views that the Prime Minister doesn't agree with. Mm. Um, You know, therefore, I mean, on Four Corners, the thing I learnt was that this couple house sat at Kirribilli, I think, was the the claim made. I mean, that's getting pretty close in. Had the Prime Minister thought about it? Had he considered it? And what steps had he taken? That's Mm. it. Yeah, I actually found some of the really interesting stuff on this story, the links that Tim Stewart had to others in the Liberal Party, because Mm. there's a wider sort of network of contacts that he's got, including some former bankrupts who've who've either been Liberal candidates or have had positions in the party around Sutherland Shire. And I think that raises questions about the wider network. I struggle with the specifics of the security threat whether there was an assessment, whether there needed to be an assessment about Jenny Morrison's friend. You know, she'd been a friend for since, decades. Since school. Yeah. Whether, I, I presume that in order to get the job, she would have needed a security she clearance. Did. Apparently she had a security clearance. I yeah. think that mm. was nice. So these are all valid questions that you'd want clarified. You'd want to know, did they go through the proper checks? If so, what were they? At what point did the QAnon connection trigger any alert, if it ever did. Mm. Yeah. Was... Look, yeah, but, but the questions are reasonable, right? Like you can imagine in a parallel universe, if we had a prime minister who 
had a mate that was, I don't know, like a Muslim cleric saying really radical things, I suspect that people would think, (laughs) even if he doesn't agree with these extreme, you know, comments that this person is saying that that the question should be asked. So I think Mm. the other part of this is that far-right extremism should also be treated seriously. That's the other component here. That's the elephant here. Is Tim Stewart's wife a believer of far-right extremism? Not that I know. And she's the one who had the job. Yes. Not the bloke. So that's, so there's a connection there, well, but it's friendship. not a connection where it was a, an advisor to Scott Morrison, you know, no. it, with an official role. Mm. All right. I want to still talk about Scott Morrison, but in a completely different way, if we can. David, let's talk about his overseas trip, which seems quite successful at this stage. From telling the Queen she was quite the hit to holding a trilateral meeting with Boris Johnson and, and Joe Biden and even now negotiating that free trade deal with um, Johnson for Australian produce, uh, which has been seen as a as sort of a part win for our farmers. But he seems to have left the G7 relatively unscathed when it comes to climate change, right? Was there any pressure privately from Biden and Johnson to, to be more ambitious on climate change? How has this played out? It played out pretty safely for him, I've got to say. I don't think it was that great a, a sort of a, a victory on the world stage. I think that the G7 made some interesting statements about China, security in the Indo-Pacific and other issues. The G7 committed to net zero by 2050, which Scott Morrison does not support at this point. So he was out of step with all the other leaders at that meeting in Cornwall. That's very clear. But nobody turned that into a public message with a soundbite at a press conference. Well, in fact, he said nobody raised it with him privately, didn't he? Well, that's his account of the various meetings that he had. We only have his version of those meetings because most of the time everybody else at that summit was focused on other issues and their own discussions about climate or regional security and so forth. So, you know, there's, it's always opaque what happens in private meetings at these summits. But In publicly, though, I think it's fair to say he got let off lightly by Boris Johnson. Everyone was expecting that there might be a stronger message. Boris Johnson had flagged that ahead of, you know, hosting the UN Climate Change Conference in November, he was going to hold different leaders' feet to the fire, so to speak. And we were sort of primed for that. Instead, Boris Johnson, you know, praised the government for having the ambition of committing to, to zero, net zero by 2050, which, in fact, the Prime Minister hasn't done. So that was a, a surprise and a, and a let-off uh, for for Scott Morrison. But I think it is clear from the communique from the G7 where they talked about decarbonising by t- mid-2030s that Australia is still nevertheless out of step with the major economies that we see ourselves a part of. And there will be a moment of reckoning, or the Prime Minister clearly is signalling he's bringing Australia on a path that the Nats have made it very clear. Again, as recently, we're recording this on a Thursday, is releasing as recently as today on, on my show, Iron Breakfast, that, um, you know, they are not happy with that and they are not going to go quietly to net zero by 2050. So Morrison's language while he was over in Europe was that we're all heading towards a net zero economy. So that is not a net zero commitment by 2050, no. but it's, a, it's an acknowledgement that that's where we're going. Now, the timing is that he's got, and I've talked to Liberals this week who think that it was a good meeting in Cornwall because it's preparing the ground for the government to go to net zero by 2050. And they would like to see that outcome from Scott Morrison between now and the United Nations Climate Change Summit in Glasgow in early November. So that's the path that they see. 
But it is very interesting that the Nats have decided to arc up this week. And your interview, Fran, with Keith Pitt this morning was really interesting. Yeah, Resources Minister Mm. saying that Nats are not committed to net zero by 2050. He certainly uh, didn't hold back, did he? Yeah, he was really blunt. And and, uh, he's not alone in that Nats party room with that Well, he came out to deliver that message. That was pretty clear this morning. (laughs) Now... I think Scott Morrison's got two weeks in, in quarantine at the lodge to get on the phone and call around and to, and to get everybody together on this. But I just don't see how it can be done without some kind of flashpoint with the Nationals on that target. Oh, that flashpoint. How many flashes have we seen on this? It's a flashy moment. David Crow, always <laughs> great to speak to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you both. Thanks, David. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. The bells are ringing. That means it's time for our version of question time. And this week's question comes from Kim, who writes, Seems like Andrew Lamming still chairs the Employment, Education and Training Parliamentary Committee. My question is... I understand that appointments to committees lie with the PM. If members of a committee have lost trust in the chair, can any steps be taken to remove him or her? Examples could include members boycotting hearings. Fran? Mm. Well, I don't know about that. I I am a bit surprised to actually know that. I didn't know he still chaired that committee. He's announced that he won't be standing again at the next election. I think that still stands. Um, so I'm surprised he's still in, in charge of that committee. Um, but he is still a member of the parliament. He still sits in the party room. The government hasn't really distanced itself uh, that much from him. That whole allegation, in fact, around the... Remember that the, the allegation he was taking photos of a woman mm. bending over, that was one of the, the reasons that caused outrage. Age. That's I understand the Green Senator Sarah Hanson Young has since had to apologise for those comments. Yep. So that whole element has settled down. But there's still the allegations from others. So I'm surprised to know that he still is the chair of that committee. But, you know, the government, as I say, still has him in the party room. They'd prefer, I think, given the numbers as they are, that he not go and sit on the crossbench, which, of course, is what Craig Kelly has done. So, you know, maybe they're just trying to keep him sweet. What do you think, PK? Yeah. Look, what happened is there was the original, obviously, outrage and then um, the the coalition, well, the, the government made a calculation that, yeah, he wouldn't re, recontest the election. He came out with his ADHD um, diagnosis as well and they made the decision not to strip him of, of this role and it was very controversial at the time. I All the time, you know, people are writing to me on Twitter demanding that I ask questions of of government ministers and MPs about why that was the case. And the truth is they've just made a political calculation that they will just leave that be and that the story's passed. That's politics. It's pragmatism. I'm not defending it. But what happens is a storm passes and uh, they don't, you know, they, don't, they make the, the call that it's not something that they're going to fight over anymore. And, and then, Andrew Lamming did have a win over the upskirting allegation, didn't he, it would seem? Well, the police didn't pursue it, right? Yeah. Um, and and yes, yeah, some some he's obviously um, you know got some qualified apologies from people about who've made the claim. Um, but either way, he's even admitted the behaviour he had was at the time was inappropriate. He's said that he just yeah. says it's because he w- he's now realised he had ADHD and you know he wasn't sort of managing himself properly. So oh look. 
Welcome to politics. Pragmatism wins. Uh, very slim majority. Um, <laughs> and I think the government likes to, uh, and the leadership likes to make sure everyone, no one's too disgruntled, including Andrew Lamming. Mm. Look, send your questions in because we love getting them. You can tweet using the hashtag The Party Room or email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. Yeah, that was a beauty, that one, a curly one. And remember, you can follow The Party Room on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast app. See you, Fran. See you, PK. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.